morning, afternoon, or evening, wherever or whenever you are, ladies and gentlemen. This is Sports Crutch with D. Crom. I'm your host, David Cromelo. Today, we reach the halfway point of our 2021 division-by-division NFL draft recaps with a stop in the division that just might be welcoming a new King of the Hill at quarterback, the NFC North. And joining us to analyze the draft halls of the Lions, Bears, Vikings, and Packers is our good friend Jacob Infante of the Draft Wire and Windy City Gridiron. What's up, Jacob? Hey, David. Appreciate you having me on again. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, a really interesting draft for like all the teams in the NFC North. Uh, and I, I'm excited to be able to talk about it because there's a lot of moves from, you know, not just my own team, the Bears, but from, you know, all three teams that I liked, but also a few that were kind of uh, head scratchers to me for sure. Most definitely, and let's start off with the Detroit Lions, who, aside from passing on that quarterback, we'll get to in a bit, I thought they had a very, very good first draft of the Brad Holmes-Dan Campbell era. They really emphasized the identity of their team, which was uh, biting kneecaps off, and that's exactly what they did right from the get-go as they took Oregon offensive tackle Panay Sewell with their first-round pick. His addition arguably makes the Lions' offensive line one of the most promising groups in the NFL. You look at the lines. They now have rock-solid bookend tackles with Panay Sewell at right tackle and Taylor Decker at left tackle. And inside, they have all-pro Frank Ragnow at center, who was just handsomely rewarded, and rightfully so, and Jonah Jackson, who had a very good rookie season in 2020 at one of the guard spots. Would you be surprised if the Lions offensive line becomes a top-10 unit at the end of this season, if not a top-5 unit? Yeah, no, I think that top 10 is definitely uh, in the books for them. I think a lot of that depends on how quickly Panay Sewell adjusts to the NFL level, which I really don't have any doubts about him adjusting quickly. I think that he's going to be able to uh, step in right away and be a really good offensive tackle in the league. Uh, and, and then putting him in at right tackle, uh, I think that could also help ease his transition a little bit. I mean, I personally don't think there's a massive jump between left tackle and right tackle. The only – you know, like a big difference, uh, not even a big difference. There's a difference in mechanics there, but admittedly, a lot of the time left tackles, you know, do go up against some of those top guys. Uh, so I think putting Panay at right tackle could make it a little bit easier for him than if he was just to put, you put it there at, a, at left tackle from day one. But I, I'm a fan of what the Lions did for sure. I think that adding Panay to that offensive line, uh, it's a really good move for that philosophy that Detroit has. Uh, I think that going forward, get having a true bookend along the offensive line, a young guy who's technically sound and really strong and nasty, uh, that's going to fit right in in Detroit, help build that culture, but also investing in one of the most important positions in football. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that pick. I mean, yeah, you can make the argument for sure at quarterback, and I don't think Jared Goff is the guy at all. But if you're going to take a non-quarterback there at seven, I think Sewell was absolutely the, the best pick available there for sure. Absolutely. And on day two, the Lions double-dipped at defensive tackle with Levi Zarike in the second round and Ali McNeil with their first of two third-round picks. And when you double-dip at a position in the draft, it usually means, at least in terms of logic, that the two players have perfectly complementary skill sets. How well, if at all, do Levi Zarike and Ali McNeil complement each other? Yeah, so I think that one thing they have in common is that they're both explosive. Uh, watching Levi Muzurike at Washington uh, and then be, having able, being able to watch him a little bit at the Senior Bowl this year, he didn't play the entire week, but he showed in flashes that he looks uh, really good. He looked really good on tape, looked really good at the Senior Bowl, and I, I can see a lot of that in Ali McNeil, too. I do think he's a bit more densely built than... Uh, Omuzurike uh, is, I think that McNeil's more, you know, in a, say, a one-technique sort of alignment, and then Omuzurike you can put as a three-tech. Uh, you know, both explosive, both quick in their first step, and I think that's something that really sticks out to me. Uh, little, I think that both guys can improve a little bit from a technique perspective, but in their explosiveness off the snap, uh, I was very impressed with it. I think Aline McNeil's a bit more powerful in his lower body. Uh, and I think Awuzurike is a bit more sound from a football IQ perspective. Uh, but overall, I'm a really big fan of both those defensive tackles. I think that Detroit came in with a very big need along the interior defensive line, and they got two guys who I think could develop into starters. 
Uh, and I, I don't know necessarily who's going to get the upper hand and who's going to contribute more right out of the gate, but I think going forward, you have two disruptive interior defensive linemen. Uh, I think both of them have solid enough pass rushing value. I mean, I don't think either of them are going to turn into like an Aaron Donald or anything, but that's a really high bar. I think that both of them will be solid pass rushers, uh, well-balanced interior defensive linemen, and again, building that culture, building through the trenches, being aggressive and nasty. I think that's really what the Lions are going for here. I, I, I like double dipping there. I mean, sure, they have other needs they could have addressed, like wide receiver, uh, but it's, they got two talented players, and at the end of the day, that's all you can really ask for. Yes, and uh, you answered my follow-up question was, can you see them as uh, starters at defensive tackle for the Lions at some point the next few seasons? Uh, meaning Levi owns Riggy and Ali McNeil are your two starters at defensive tackle in uh, Aaron Glenn's system. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the future is bright for both of those guys. Uh, I think Michael Brockers is going to start out right away yeah. uh, for Detroit. And I, truth be told, I'm not super familiar with watching him specifically on tape and breaking him down. So I don't know necessarily who would be the better compliment alongside him but from the flashes i've seen my guess is uh would get the upper hand there but oh in time in time i do think that seeing both of those two guys starting going forward would be uh it's definitely in the cards because you look at uh michael brockers he's on a three-year deal uh three years 24 million but you take a look at his contract there he has the potential out after the 2022 season. So he, it's technically a two-year deal. So you have him for a year and then have him for another year and then see if Aline McNeil can battle with him. And then that's more of a long-term investment, I think. Wuzurike might be able to contribute a little bit more right away, but McNeil, you can develop him uh, underneath uh, Brockers going forward and then just be able to unleash both of those two rookies going forward. Oh, absolutely. That makes perfect sense because uh, uh, Michael Brockers, his skill set is more reminiscent of Ali McNeil's uh, than uh, Levi Onzerike. Um Michael Brockers will be your uh, gap-plugging uh, nose tackle in this scheme, and Levi Onzerike will be the uh, penetrating three-tech, and uh, Ali McNeil, I think, might be the long-term replacement for Michael Brockers, so that makes perfect sense. Yeah, for sure. I think that both of those guys... Uh, Wuzurike and McNeil complement each other pretty well. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how, just from a pure NFL draft evaluator perspective, I'm looking forward to seeing how the development of those guys goes uh, in the long term because I do think that they have two, you know, very solid, very explosive and talented in different areas, uh, two interior defensive linemen who can really uh, contribute pretty quickly and then make an impact going forward. And with their third-round compensatory selection, the Lions selected somebody who I personally expected to go quite a bit higher in cornerback Afatu Melifanwu out of Syracuse. He's that long, tall, lean, lanky, athletic corner most NFL teams prize in the modern game. Do you see Melifanwu capturing the starting corner spot opposite Jeff Okuda at some point this year? At some point this year, yes, I do. I think that he's uh, more athletic than Amani Oruwarie. Uh, who's currently projected to be the starter there at corner alongside Jeff Okuda. I think that Mel Fongwu is a bit more fluid coming in and out of his breaks. Uh, and, you know, this is coming from a guy who I did like Oruwarie coming out of Penn State back in 2019, but I do think Mel Fongwu, from a physical perspective, is the more is the higher upside player of the two. So with that in mind, I do think that Mel Fongwu and Jeff Okuda – Assuming Okuda takes a, a step in year two, I think that they'll be able to complement each other pretty well. And I, I think that that job isn't going to go to Melifonwu right away. Uh, I think that Amani Oruwari is going to take over uh, and continue to hold that starting spot down. But going forward, I think Melifonwu can take over that uh, starting role probably around midway through the year. If I had to hazard a guess, I mean, I could be totally off on that, but I think that that's where I'd expect him to take over that role and then put together a couple of games, put together some momentum, uh, and then eventually see him uh, ideally taking over that starting role alongside Okuda going forward. 
And now on to the team that you cover and root for and the team that I root for as the 1B compared to the 1, the Chicago Bears, who arguably came away with not only the biggest steal of the 2021 NFL Draft, but a steal can be the most pivotal move in the history of the franchise as they traded up to snatch a potential superstar franchise quarterback in Justin Fields. Oh, thank God. They really made my night. Like, uh, <laughs> I, I, I actually learned from a Benjamin Albright, great NFL insider. It, it, he was safe for several weeks that the Broncos weren't enamored with Fields for some reason and to, and to expect them to pass on a quarterback if uh, Trey Lance uh, was indeed gone by nine and that was indeed the case, and uh, but I said, all right, if the Broncos uh, aren't enamored with Fields and they're going to pass on him, you can't let him fall to the Patriots. The Bears, you have to go and get him, and they did. But unlike most clubs in the NFL, most on draft Twitter had Fields as the second-best quarterback in the draft solely behind Trevor Lawrence, and I agreed with that sentiment because, in my view, Fields has the highest ceiling and highest floor out of all the non-Trevor Lawrence quarterbacks. Uh, but uh, that said, uh, I think there wasn't that big a gap between him and Trey Lance. I really like Trey Lance, too. He's going to be excellent with the Niners. But on my draft live stream, back to Justin Fields for a moment, I said that Justin Fields just might be the best quarterback in Chicago Bears history already, even though he's yet to throw a pass. <laughs> what makes Justin Fields so special? And exactly how high would you consider both his floor and ceiling to be? Yeah, so I watch Justin Fields, and I see a guy that I feel confident can be a day-one starter in the NFL. Uh, and the Bears say, oh, Andy Dalton's going to be our starter. But I, I haven't seen anything uh, from Justin Fields to prove me otherwise, or I haven't seen enough from Andy Dalton these last two, three years that convinced me that Fields isn't better than Andy Dalton right now. And, again, that's something that the Bears coaches are going to have to be able to determine in training camp, the preseason uh, just get a feeling out process for where Fields is at from a development perspective. And I uh, certainly don't want to rush him uh, before he's not, you know, before he's ready. But I do think that Fields is ready from a mentality perspective, from uh, mentally, I, not just the, uh, you know, the confidence that he has in himself, but being able to uh, grasp the playbook. I mean, by all accounts, he's done a phenomenal job of, you know, studying up on route concepts and, He's been correcting receivers in rookie mini camp about certain routes that they should be running. He's been very vocal, a uh, strong leader. He's already proving that, and he hasn't even met with the whole team yet. He hasn't even practiced with uh, the guys that he'll be playing with on Sunday. So that alone, I think that Justin Fields is going to step in, automatically be a top 10 athlete at the quarterback position in this class, uh, maybe even top five. I think that, he brings a dual threat ability that the Bears haven't seen at quarterback. And, oh, man, since, like, Cordell Stewart maybe, Bobby Douglas. We're talking, you know, Cordell Stewart was, uh, like, 15, 20 years ago now. But Bobby Douglas, we're looking at, that's, like, what, 60, 70 years ago, something crazy like that. <laughs> but I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't – I need to study up on my Bears history. But regardless, Justin Fields is an incredible athlete. And he's a very accurate thrower of the football, first and foremost. I think that's the big thing with him is accuracy, that sense of touch that he has, the ability to hit his receivers in stride, to know his targets very well and predict their movements and be able to hit them in stride con consistently, hitting his receivers and throwing with phenomenal touch and placement on the deep ball, strong arm, intelligent reader of the field there there really isn't much to dislike about Justin Fields if anything at all so the fact that he fell down to 11 I think is it's crazy to me still and Bears fans should be thanking their lucky stars that he did and that the Bears were willing to you know part with that extra draft capital be able to move out for him uh, as a Bears fan I'm very excited to see how he turns out uh, as just a pure evaluator of football, I'm very excited to see how he pans out because he was a guy that, you know, obviously people have been high on him for years at this point, being a potential NFL quarterback. But as the Zach Wilson hype started to build up, I had, I had Wilson and Fields neck and neck. So the fact that Fields did, wasn't the pick at three, I'll never understand because I feel like he's on a whole nother level from Lance and Mac Jones. 
Uh, and, you know, coming from a guy who likes both of those quarterbacks, I think Fields was much better. Uh, so for Fields to be the fourth quarterback taken and to fall out of the top ten in itself is crazy to me. But I'm thankful that it did, truth be told. So I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what happens with Justin Fields in Chicago because I feel like the city of Chicago has needed a quarterback for so long. They Amen. haven't had one in so long. And it, it just feels good because you look at Justin Fields and you know, I, I, uh, I admit I didn't talk as much about floor and ceiling, which uh, I can get into a little bit, but I, they haven't had someone with this true super, super, superstar ah, feeling that Justin Fields has because I'm seeing a guy who can make multiple Pro Bowls at the next level, a guy who can lead your team to deep playoff runs and potentially the Super Bowl uh, if all goes well with the roster building around him. Uh, I see as his floor, I say a slightly above average quarterback, never an elite one, but, you know, someone who's going to win you games. His ceiling, I see someone who can win Super Bowls, not a Super Bowl, Super Bowls, and that's what I think we're looking at with Justin Fields here. We're looking at someone who has the potential to lead a team into the playoffs, deep into the playoffs, and potentially win championships. So I, I know I went on a little tangent there, but I'm a oh. very big fan of Bears trading up and being able to secure him for sure. I am too, man. And uh, in terms of his floor, uh, Mark Schofield, uh, one of the best quarterback minds out there, his pro comparison for Justin Fields was Ryan Tannehill. And to me, I think that's his floor. I I'm talking about the Titans version of Ryan Tannehill, not the Dolphins version of Ryan Tannehill, because Ryan Tannehill these past years has played at a very high Pro Bowl caliber level, and he posted similar numbers with the Titans last year that Fields did in his last year at Ohio State. Uh, 30 plus touchdowns and only six or seven uh, interceptions. And you have a, you at the very least have a more athletic version of Ryan Tannehill, and those quarterbacks uh, make multiple Pro Bowls. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, uh, as a floor, I think that is a good comparison. As, from a pure passing perspective, I see a lot of Dak Prescott and Justin Fields. Yes. Uh, just the build and the delivery which he throws and, you know, good arm strength and just the mechanics, just how sound he is in that regard. Uh, I see Dak Prescott in that regard, and I do think that Fields is a better athlete than Dak is. So when you combine the throwing ability – that a two-time pro bowler and Dak Prescott has and someone who was looking really good before he got hurt in 2020. And you combine that with a guy who can run a, a legit 4-4, 40-yard dash. I mean, you're looking at something special here. Uh, you most certainly are, and I'm glad you brought up Dak Prescott because I was having this uh, conversation with others uh, because Dak was another common uh, pro comparison to uh, Justin Fields. And uh, I like Dak Prescott a lot. Don't get me wrong. I think he's a rock-solid quarterback. You know exactly what you're getting from him year after year, but there's one thing that separates him from Deshaun Watson, Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes level, and that is I think he's a little too dependent on his supporting cast, whether that be offensive line, like whenever the offensive line got banged up, he tends to struggle more, and uh, when he, the, the Cowboys receiver room was like was like bear uh, in 2018 before they traded for Amari Cooper. He really struggled too. He's a little much of a high end elite trailer in terms of how Bucky Brooks talks, as opposed to a truck, somebody who could carry the offense on his shoulders at a quarterback, depending on the offense carrying him. Uh, so the ceiling for fields, I'd say would be somewhere between Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson. Look at what Deshaun Watson did last year with with like Randall Cobb and Brandon Cooks. Uh, they're good players, but they're nowhere near DeAndre Hopkins. He actually had a very excellent season last year with that kind of supporting cast. And uh, for Fields to reach that level, he has to show he could do what Deshaun Watson did last year. Yeah, I think that that's possible. And uh, again, we have to see a lot of you know Justin what Justin Fields is able to do. Uh, at the NFL level, because obviously there's a, a jump that needs to be made there. But I don't really have any concerns about Justin Fields being able to make that jump because he's battle tested in, you know, two years starting at a blue blood program like Ohio State going up against Big Ten defenses, which is no easy task with uh, 
how physical those units can be, how talented a lot of those guys are, uh, and then being able to make it to the playoffs both of those years and make it to the championship in his final year there. I mean, he has proven to be really good against the best of the best and dominated against Clemson, which is a really good defense, and he was banged up for that. And he played really well against Alabama. Obviously, uh, they didn't come away with the win there, but that's because Alabama's offense was unstoppable at that point. That's a really high bar for Ohio State to have reached, and against that caliber of talent, Fields played very well. So just because of like how proven he is and how he's shown, it's not like a Mitch Trubisky situation where, okay, he has one year, they went eight and five, he struggled in the bowl game against a, you know, a, solid defense no Justin Fields two-year starter at a blue blood program playing against the best of the best phenomenal track record at the collegiate level proven to be a very good player a good leader a good teammate and a winner and I I think that's basically all you could ever hope for from an intangibles perspective in a quarterback I think that Justin Fields off the field is going to be really good for Chicago for a team that had an identity. It had an identity in 2018. It kind of lost it. I think Fields is that opportunity to get that identity back. He's absolutely the best chance for the Bears to get an identity back, if not a long-term identity, period. They've been lacking a long-term identity for God knows how long. And uh, my concern with as far as the Bears are concerned, is it Justin Fields? I fully expect him to be at least a Pro Bowl-level quarterback in the NFL. Like I said, he'll at least be a more athletic version of the Tennessee Titans' Ryan Tannehill that we've seen the past two years. My concern is with how this coaching staff and front office is going to build the team around him. That is my number one concern. And uh, I uh, I like Matt Nagy a lot, and I think he's going to get a lot of great things out of Justin Fields. Uh, he's got a lot of similarities in his playbook to Ryan Day's at Ohio State. But uh, Ryan Pace's track record at roster building is iffy, so to speak. And uh, they were on the hot seat entering the season, and they acted like it in the draft. But in my opinion, drafting Justin Fields shouldn't like automatically give them five or six more years. It should only give them a brief reprieve. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think that uh, I- I'm kind of in the same boat. I honestly wanted Ryan Pace especially. And, you know, in that case, I would want him at Nagy gone as well. I thought that that would have been uh, the ideal situation there and build towards rebuild, but no one could have seen Justin Fields coming. Uh, so with that in mind, I, I honestly think an extension's in order. Not because, oh, Ryan Pace has done a phenomenal job because he's definitely had his fair share of misses. But if they really want a long-term situation to build around Justin Fields, then you can't have a guy like Ryan Pace who's battling for job security and trying to pull out all the stops and pushing stuff out to the future Uh, eating up future salary cap to make sure to make win-now moves. Uh, I don't think that's the right call for right now. So giving Pace an extension gives him a little bit of breathing room. I'm honestly, I'm a very big fan of what Ryan Pace did in those, uh, like especially that 2018 offseason, being able to uh, upgrade that offense and upgrade the defense in a lot of different different facets of, you know, whether it be the receiver position – uh, bringing in players for the secondary uh, through the draft and free agency. We're looking, you know, that 16 through 18 range. Uh, sure, they had some stinkers, but they also brought in some really good talent. So I, I don't have any doubts that Ryan Pace can build a quality roster. It's just going to be a little bit different now because now you have less cap space to work with. You're going to have more guys uh, you're going to need to give extensions to. So you don't have – that much of a luxury now it's just a matter of okay which guys do we want to build around going forward which expensive veterans are we going to have to uh trade away or cut to free up cap space we're not so sure so i think it might take a little bit of time i don't expect the bears to be a playoff team this year uh, especially given their tough schedule but i think that going forward maybe in 22 23 I think is a more realistic shot for the bears to make it to the playoffs in my opinion, because 
there are still a handful of holes on this roster. I think that they could use another lineman potentially. Uh, I think corner is a big weakness for the roster. Uh, Again, another receiver alongside Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney, but there's potential here. There's a lot to like uh, because it's a good, it's a win now roster with a rookie quarterback. And I think that the bears, Maybe not right away, but going forward, I think that there's potential for them to grow. I completely agree. Give Ryan Pace uh, two or three more years, but if it fails, then reassess. That makes a lot of sense because you want Justin Fields to have as much continuity as possible in his early career. And one of the main things that Ryan Pace uh, can do, in my opinion, to earn the trust of Bears fans back even more is under this scenario. Say Justin Fields wins the week one starting job in training camp at preseason. Should the Bears trade Andy Dalton, especially if Andy Dalton will get more value in return than Nick Foles would? I mean, I think a lot of that depends on how valuable they see Andy Dalton as uh, a learning, uh, as more of a mentor, I guess you could say. So with, with that situation, I don't think they could get a ton for Andy Dalton in a trade because sure, he's a you know, a quarterback who's not bad and he's, he's decent by all, you know, NFL standards. He's a decent quarterback, but he's also aging. Uh, he's on a one-year deal and that one-year deal, you know, there's, uh, I don't know, but I'd honestly, I'd keep Andy Dalton. I, I'd look to trade Nick Foles simply because Dalton's a superior player. Uh, and if Fields like gets hurt or something and you need a guy in relief, then I think that Dalton's a guy you keep around, but again, I, I'm not the one like in all those meetings. I'm not going to be in the QB room this year or anything. If they see Andy Dalton as a mentor, as a valuable player to have in the locker room who can help Justin Fields make that leap to the NFL level, then I, I think I'd keep him around. I'm generally a bigger fan of you know trading players and maximizing that value than uh, most people are, but. In that case, I'd, I'd prefer to keep Dalton around uh, and trade Foles maybe for uh, maybe not as much in terms of draft capital, but I still think you could get something for him. Uh, so that's probably what I'd do, and then just keep the superior talent around just in case. There's an argument for that, and I totally understand it, but uh, let's do a hypothetical scenario here. Let's say Ryan Fitzpatrick tears his ACL in the preseason and uh, the Washington football team offers the Bears their second-round pick in 2022 for Andy Dalton, and Justin Fields wins the uh, tr- the job in trading cap. I would take that deal in a heartbeat, personally, because it recoups some of the value lost in trading up for Fields, and it gives you another dart to uh, throw at the board and build around Fields starting in 2022. Yeah, I mean, in that situation, I'd go for it. Uh if you can get, you know, good enough draft capital, then I definitely consider it, uh, especially it's like a team like Washington. If Fitzpatrick goes down, you don't really have a whole lot to work with there. So I'm sure a team would get desperate enough to make, you know, a trade offer. And I definitely listen. I wouldn't go forcing anything though, because you also have to keep in mind that you want to surround fields with as many intelligent minds as possible. They have a really good coaching staff in place. A lot of, QB friendly guys in that locker room, in that coaching staff. So we'll see it in due time what happens there. But I think that you definitely listen uh, depending on the price. If it's something you can't pass up, then absolutely go for it. Uh, recoup some of that draft capital that you're, you're losing out on. But again, you know, you don't go forcing anything either. Yes, and uh, moving away from Justin Fields to the Bears' second-round pick. They traded up again to get some protection for Justin Fields in Tevin Jacobs from Oklahoma State, who is the quintessential bouncer in a nightclub offensive lineman, if you know what I mean. I was hoping the Bears (laughs) planned on him playing right tackle opposite Charles Leno, as did you, I'm sure. But shortly after the draft, the Bears released Charles Leno, who is now with the Washington football team, and they said that Tevin Jacobs will be playing left tackle this season. Most draft analysts I really trust, like uh, Doug Farrar and my man Nick Kendall, who's an offensive line expert, they believe that Teva Jenkins is far better suited to play either right tackle or guard in the NFL than he is left tackle. 
How concerned are you about the Bears' plan for Tevin Jenkins? I mean, I, I agree. I think that right tackle is a better fit for Tevin Jenkins than left tackle. Uh, I mean, just more so because we've seen him excel there at right tackle going forward. He's maybe not the longest arms in the world, but they're long enough to the point where, okay, he can play at tackle if need be. Uh, but, again, like, I'd rather the Bears have cut, like, Jimmy Graham or something and then give Komet a bigger role going forward than cut Charles Leno. Because I, I think Charles Leno – is a solid offensive tackle. He's not great. He's not awful. He's solid. He's decent. He's not going to make any highlight real plays, but he's not bad. And that's why I was confused because sure you need to free up some money to sign that draft class, but why not get rid of someone who doesn't play as valuable of a position, someone where you already have a younger guy in the wing. I mean, sure. Graham and Komet don't play the exact same position because Komet's more of an inline guy, but I don't know. I, I would have kept Tevin Jenkins at right tackle, but that's just me. Uh, and admittedly, I didn't watch the one game that Jenkins played left tackle at, and that's something I'm going to have to go back and do because uh, he played against he played at left tackle against Tulsa, but he was moved over to right tackle because uh, the injuries that Oklahoma State had at the offensive line. So I'll have to go watch over that, and I feel I feel confident that he can still be a good starter. At left tackle, but going forward, I do agree. I think right tackle is a better fit for him. Uh, and that's something you're looking at in future drafts, though. If you select a guy in the second round, say, next year, uh, then you can reconsider. But that's that's farther down the line. This year, I do think left tackle is where they'll play him. It's probably where they should play him because uh, I really don't trust Jermaine Effetti there at left tackle. Oh, absolutely not. Jermaine Effetti, one of the worst uh First-round picks uh, in uh, recent years. Jermaine Effetti, it's amazing he's still in the league. That guy can barely block the sun, metaphorically speaking. And um, one of my favorite day three picks for the Bears was cornerback Thomas Graham Jr. out of Oregon. And it is very important for everyone to know, especially Bears fans, that the Bears are essentially returning to the Vic Fangio playbook on defense this season with the promotion of Sean Desai to defensive coordinator. And correct me if I'm wrong, that was a move that was recommended to the Bears by Vic Fangio himself. And uh, Graham is the vintage cornerback for a Vic Fangio, Sean Desai scheme, given his instincts and in zone coverage and ball skills. Do you see him starting at that slot corner spot at some point this season? At some point this year, absolutely. Uh, I'm looking at the potential players that the Bears could put in a the slot there. I mean, you're looking at Duke Shelley, uh, Kendall Vilder, and that's about it. And Kendall Vilder honestly might be playing outside. We didn't really get to see a whole lot of him in the nickel because injuries at the cornerback position bumped him outside. Maybe that's where they see him long-term. I don't know. But the point is there's not a lot of competition there in the nickel. It's a lot of unproven guys. And I think just going off of Graham's 2019 tape and how he looked at the senior bowl compared to how Shelley looked in flashes in 2020 and how Vilder looked in flashes in 2020, I think Graham's the best option. I really do. I, I definitely agree with your assessment of him. I think he's probably the most intelligent out of the bunch. I think his route recognition is really good. Uh, especially, you mentioned his zone coverage especially. I do think that he's uh, patient. He does a good job of passing guys up to the safety uh, and being able to pick up on other weapons there on, along the underneath or on the flat. Uh, I, there's a lot to like with his game, and that's just the – the situation at corner at nickel corner in today's NFL, they are not valued extremely high in terms of draft capital. And which I don't necessarily get because in today's NFL, you're running out of the nickel. You're running out of the dime more often than you're in your base. Uh, so you get more defensive backs out there uh, and you can get a good starting nickel corner, in like the fifth or sixth round. I think the bears, very potentially could have gotten that in Thomas Graham. And again, we'll have to see how he does in the pros, but from an intelligence perspective, ball skills, fluidity, I think he brings a lot to the table that Sean Desai is really going to like in his defense. And moving on to the Minnesota Vikings, and uh, the main need for the Minnesota Vikings in this draft was to address their offensive line, and they did just that, albeit in a way that uh, very few of us expected. Instead of staying put at 14 to take Elijah Bear Tucker, they traded back with the New York Jets, who 
took Elijah Vera Tucker themselves, but uh, they got a pretty damn good player at 23 overall in uh, Christian Darasaw, the offensive tackle from Virginia Tech. And in the third round, they got pretty good value with Ohio State guard Wyatt Davis, the uh, grandson of Hall of Fame defensive end Willie Davis. Was getting those two guys better than staying put at 14 and taking Elijah Vera Tucker instead? In my honest opinion, I think that staying put at 14 and taking Darisaw would have been the better move than staying put at 14 and taking Vera Tucker. That's just the way I had him graded out. I think that Darisaw was the superior talent. Uh, so to move, be able to move back, acquire multiple draft picks, and still be able to take Darisaw at, what, I was 23, I want to say? Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, it was 23, yeah. yes. Okay, yeah, so... Being able to take a guy as good as Darisaw that late is an honest steal, in my opinion, because Darisaw brings a lot from a physical perspective that I really like in an offensive tackle, someone who's mobile, uh, someone who can adjust their angles and pass sets and you know nullify the outside speed rush, someone who can block well on the move, good grip strength to the point of attack. Uh, technique is still developing a little bit, but it's not necessarily bad. Uh, but the physical upside with Darisaw is very high, and – Looking at that Vikings offensive line, you know, especially bringing in Wyatt Davis was another really good pick, in my opinion. Uh, you have talented offensive linemen who are young and on rookie contracts at all five positions. And, I mean, that's going to be an expensive group to keep around long term, but they, really, they don't have a need along the offensive line anymore. They absolutely have addressed it incredibly well these past few years. I think Darisaw can potentially step in and be a very good left tackle at the next level. And Wyatt Davis slot him in at left guard. I think that that's going to be a good fit for him going forward. And then you have Garrett Bradbury, who looked good in the second year. You have Ezra Cleveland, who showed plenty of uh, flashes as a rookie. And Brian O'Neill, who's you know one of the more underrated offensive tackles in the league who doesn't get enough credit. That's a good offensive line. So that's exactly what you want, you know, blocking in front of Dalvin Cook, protecting Kirk Cousins or whoever's going to be the quarterback in the future for the Vikings. Uh, but regardless, they built in the trenches. They finally have that perfect – well, I don't want to say perfect because it's not elite, but from a pure roster-building perspective, they, I, don't, I can look at their offensive line and say they don't have a hole there anymore. Absolutely not. And uh, just curious, given the additions of Christian Darisaw and Wyatt Davis, how much better is the Vikings offensive line compared to last season? I think it's a lot better. Uh, I think that Riley Reef was, you know, a, a solid offensive tackle, but I think that Darisaw is an upgrade there. Uh, might be a little bit of growing pains for him, but I do think that his upside going forward, especially in, say, 2022 or 2023, much higher than keeping Reef around would have been. So I think that Darisaw, in the long term, absolutely the better move, might have some learning uh, might have a little bit of a learning curve to, I guess, to face. But I think that down the line, he's the better pick for sure. And then Wyatt Davis is uh, – I, I think that Dakota Dozier is in there at left guard right now. But I think Wyatt Davis, uh, sooner rather than later, is going to take over that starting spot. So, overall, I do think that that's a better unit that you're looking at compared to last year. Uh, and, again, I think Darisaw might have a little bit of growing pains, but – I think that down the line, especially later in the year, I think we're really going to see Darisaw kind of settle in and really come into his own. Yeah, I was shocked the Raiders uh, went with Alex Leatherwood instead of Christian Darisaw at 17. Darisaw was a top 20 talent, in my opinion. And uh, with the first of two third-round picks they got from the Jets by trading down in the first round, uh, you mentioned the Vikings quarterback situation. They selected a potential successor to Kirk Cousins in Texas A&M quarterback Kellen Mond. And given the sky-high $45 million cap hit that Kirk Cousins has on the books for next season, it is widely rumored that the Vikings will try to get rid of him next spring. Would it surprise you if Kellen Mond is the starting quarterback for the Vikings in 2022? Honestly, it wouldn't surprise me if he was the starter next year, it would surprise me if he was the long-term answer because look, I'm just going to be honest. I am not a big fan of drafting quarterbacks in day two. Uh, I'd honestly rather say if a quarterback has a high enough ceiling or if a quarterback is polished enough, then you're taking him in round one. So other than that, you're looking at a backup in my honest opinion. And I think that's what Kellen Mond will be at the next level. 
Uh, if you value the backup quarterback spot enough that you want to take one in early round three, then by all means, I don't necessarily view it in that high of a regard, but I know that some people do. So if that's your prerogative, then I get that. But I, I don't, I don't think that Kellen Mond is going to be a starter at the next level. He's not bad. He's definitely shown flashes in terms of that, you know, strong arm being athletic and having flashes of accuracy. But there, there's a lot of mechanical issues, uh, throwing off the back foot, panicking under pressure, uh, inability to look past his first read consistently. I think there's a lot for Kellen Mond to work on at the next level. And sure, sitting under Kirk Cousins for a year, I think could help and working with him and being able to learn under, you know, a quarterback who doesn't have the physical gifts that Kellen Mond has. Because Kirk Cousins, not the strongest arm, not the most mobile quarterback out there. So learning under someone who's won more with accuracy and being a little more cerebral, uh, I think that could be beneficial to Mond. I don't know. I could see the quarter, uh, the Vikings looking at a quarterback in 2022. Uh, that's just my honest opinion on it because I don't think that you're taking a quarterback in round three uh, with a very, you know, a strong likelihood that that's going to be your starter going forward. But that, that's just me. Again, I'm, I wasn't as high on uh, Amond or Davis Mills or Kyle Trask or any of those guys uh, as much as most people were. But I think that Mond will start for the team in 2022. Beyond that, though, I'm not so sure. Uh, yes, and you bring up a good point. Uh, Rick Spielman, known for maneuvering the the draft board on draft day, uh, he might have a plan for uh, 2022. If there is uh, a quarterback that he really, really loves that uh, falls uh, within a certain range next year, I wouldn't be surprised if the Vikings trade up to go get him uh, next year. You, you said it. And uh, now on to the reigning NFC North champion, Green Bay Packers, uh, in the midst of all this uh, drama around Aaron Rodgers, albeit I personally believe Aaron Rodgers does stay in Green Bay based on what uh, James Palmer of NFL Network has reported recently. But uh, they decided to address the cornerback position in the first round as opposed to wide receiver after seeing Kevin King get smoked by Scotty Miller out of the penultimate play of the first half of the NFC Championship. And that cornerback that they picked was Eric Stokes. And Eric Stokes is a pretty interesting prospect. On one hand, he's super, super fast with sub-4.3 track speed. But on the other hand, his agility testing was downright awful. But that was not surprising given the stiffness that he showed on tape. But putting it all together, do you think Eric Stokes will be a long-term upgrade over Kevin King at that corner spot opposite Jair Alexander? Yeah, I definitely think so. Uh, and sure, you can you can argue about the positional targeting that the Packers had in the first round, which uh, we can talk about that for, you know, however long, but from a pure talent perspective, I think Eric Stokes is a solid pick there in the first round. Uh, maybe, I don't know if that's the pick Aaron Rodgers is going to be super excited about because they didn't necessarily do the best job of giving him a true top tier offensive talent, but Stokes and Jair Alexander is a, that's a tandem I'm really interested in going forward. Uh, Stokes, like you said, maybe not the most fluid corner in this class, but very good ball skills. Uh, he's an intelligent player with good straight line speed. Uh, he's sticky in man coverage, intelligent in zone, uh, pretty scheme diverse in my opinion, and he's shown a bit, a bit of promise as a tackler, maybe not quite there yet, but he's, he's shown some promise there. So I think that, that that's a good take for the Packers. Maybe not the flashiest, maybe not the sexiest, but I do think Stokes is going to be a quality corner for them going forward. And looking at that Packers depth chart, Jair Alexander is one of the best corners in the league, but they don't have a whole lot outside of that. So get a guy like Eric Stokes in there with a high ceiling, those you know physical traits that he has. I think that's a good pick for them long-term. Uh, so absolutely. I, I thought that was a good pick. And, and again, like I said, maybe not the flashiest, but a solid pick nonetheless. And uh, during the draft, as you alluded to, we were all wondering if the Packers would address the wide receiver position early, and they actually did by trading up in the third round to take Amari Rogers, who was Trevor Lawrence's top target at Clemson last fall. And after the pick was made, Daniel Jeremiah compared Amari Rogers to former Packer Randall Cobb. Do you believe that Amari Rogers is the missing ingredient in the Packers' passing attack that could help them get over the hump and back to the Super Bowl, assuming Aaron Rodgers does return this year? I liked Amari Rodgers quite a bit. I think he's a very explosive wideout. 
uh, agile after the catch. He's definitely an upgrade at the wide receiver position, which they desperately needed. I don't know if he's a massive enough upgrade to the point where, oh, I can say this is what's going to put the Packers over the hump. This is what's going to help them win the NFC. I don't know if it's going to be that big of an upgrade, at least right away. Going forward, potentially, I think he can be a very high-end wide receiver three, uh, low-end wide receiver two, alongside Javante Adams. I still think they could use another weapon there long-term. But regardless, I do think that was a good pick where they got him at. Uh, regardless, though, I do think – I, I want to touch a little bit on the second-round pick, Josh Myers, who I think is, is a solid center, and the Packers needed someone to replace Corey Lindley, their all-pro center, who left to the Chargers. But Creed Humphrey was right there, and I don't get why the Packers didn't take Creed Humphrey – over Josh Myers. Ah. I'm sure you can make the argument. You can make the argument, oh, Creed Humphrey is a left-handed center, and that might be a little bit of an adjustment. But I thought that Creed Humphrey was the, you know, purely superior talent to Myers. And that's not a knock on Myers by any means. I just thought Creed Humphrey was a first-round talent who somehow fell his way all the way down late into the second to the Chiefs. You just touched on one of our topics in our next game, which is called Truth or Exaggeration. And in this game... Uh, I will mention the name of a prospect that we didn't really discuss in depth, and you tell me whether I'm telling the truth or whether I'm telling an exaggeration. You explain why, and we start off with that Packers situation. The Packers will regret selecting Josh Myers over Creed Humphrey. I think they will. I think Creed Humphrey has all the makings of a really good center prospect in the next level. I think he's intelligent. He's powerful. He's technically sound. He tested very well athletically, too. And, you know, maybe didn't necessarily see that on a consistent basis on tape, but if he's able to translate that athletic ability and complement that with the power he shows and the mean edge that he shows on tape uh, and is consistently uh, bullying of Big 12 defenders at Oklahoma, I think he can be a potential Pro Bowl center at the next level. I don't necessarily see that with Josh Myers. Uh and again, that's not a knock on him. I thought Josh Myers, where they took him at, that's not a bad pick for Green Bay. I just think there was better value uh, with Creed Humphrey available. I look at Josh Myers, I see, okay, he's intelligent, he's strong, he has a high motor. I don't think he's as technically sound as Creed Humphrey, though. I don't think he's as athletic. And I, I named those uh, – those positives in Josh Myers game. And I can say all those about Creed Humphrey. And I think that Creed Humphrey is better in his deficiencies than Josh Myers is in his. So I'm going to have to say that's true. Uh, And again, time will tell. And I could very well end up looking like an idiot for saying this, Mm -hmm. but I do think Creed Humphrey would have been the better pick over Josh Myers. I agree. And moving on to the lions, Almond Ross St. Brown will lead the lions wide receivers in receiving yards this season? Truth or exaggeration? Uh, I think that's a bit of an exaggeration, but I do think Amandra is going to play a decent enough role in that Lions offense. I think that group is really, really thin at wide receivers. But if I had to hazard a guess, I'd say uh, I'd say Tyrell Williams leads the, that team in receiving yards. I think that he's still got enough in the tank, but – I think Amonra's got a little bit of a learning curve to reach. I don't know necessarily how high his ceiling is. I think he's a very high-end complimentary guy, like a wide receiver two or three. Uh, And I think that he's going to have to work his way into the starting lineup. I don't think he'll start week one, just because I feel like the Lions are going to have that sort of thing. Oh, we'll give it to the veterans. Rookies are going to have to earn it. Uh, But I do think Amonra's going to start sooner rather than later. It's just a matter of, okay, is he going to start early enough that he can get the upper hand over his teammates? I don't think he will. Uh, I do think he'll finish second among receivers, though. That's going to be my prediction there. Yeah, I probably agree. Um, Amon Ross St. Brown, it's a tall order for him to lead the Lions wide receivers in a receiving yardage this year. And moving on to the Bears, Kyrus Tonga will replace Eddie Goldman as the Bears' starting nose tackle no later than 2023, which is the final year of Eddie Goldman's contract. Uh, I mean, 
if all goes well with Kyrus Tonga, then I'm going to go with true. Uh, I think that there's truth to that, and it's going to be valid. Uh, just because looking at the Bears' roster construction right now, they only used Eddie Goldman when he's healthy on, like, what, half of their snaps? I mean, they're not in their base 3-4 uh, a whole lot, you know, running a lot of nickel, running a lot of diamond, stuff like that. Uh, and I could see them focusing a little bit more on that. I don't necessarily think – Eddie Goldman is going to have a huge role. And don't get me wrong, he's a very talented player, but he's also expensive. And I don't know exactly how old he's going to be when his contract expires, but he'll still be likely playing at a high enough level. And with what I've seen from Kairos Tonga, I see a guy who's explosive in his first step. I see a guy who can convert speed to power well. I see a guy who can two-gap at the next level and eat up uh, gaps from, you know, just a nose tackle spot or put them at a one tech, maybe even a three tech, but I, I like him a bit more as a traditional nose. That's for sure. So I think that sticking with Kyrus Tonga on a rookie contract, uh, I think that might be the move for the bears going forward. And I, again, that all depends on if Tonga is able to develop, but I'd much rather they invest money in other positions that they use a bit more of at the next level. Uh, I think, you know, whether it's a, a nickel corner or just other positions along their offense or defense that they get more use out of. So I'll stay true. And again, we're going to have to see if Tonga is able to uh, make that leap and play well at the next level. But I think there's definitely a possibility. I'm not going to say full out. Yes, but I think that it's definitely possible. Uh, yes, and I think it would be in the Bears' best interest if Kairos Tonga develops on schedule because uh, the Bears need to invest big time in more depth for their aging defense. And I uh, and the sooner Kairos Tonga develops, the sooner they'll be able to do that and they could shed Eddie Goldman's salary, I believe, as early as uh, next offseason. So that would be an ideal situation there. And uh, for the Minnesota Vikings, Patrick Jones II will get most of the snaps at the defensive end spot opposite Daniel Hunter this season. Truth or exaggeration? You know, looking at the group that the Vikings have at edge rusher, it's really it's thin outside of Daniil Hunter. So if I had to guess, I'll say I think true. I, I don't think that's much of an exaggeration at all because I don't really see anyone else who could step in and play as well as Patrick Jones could. I mean, granted, I was pretty high on Patrick Jones. I think that his you know, first step explosiveness is really impressive and just the ability that he plays with. Uh, the upside he brings from a physical perspective, I think there's a lot to like there. Because uh, who else would be playing alongside Daniel Hunter? We're looking at like Stephen Weatherly, uh, Jalen Holmes. I mean, not bad players, but I think Patrick Jones is a higher ceiling than those guys uh, from an athletic perspective. From the you know the upside he's shown from a hand usage perspective, I think that Patrick Jones. Uh, I don't know about week one, but I do think that sooner rather than later he's going to step into that starting role. And at least for 2021, he's going to be the starter for a majority of those games alongside Daniel Hunter off the edge. He is Jacob Bifate, ladies and gentlemen, NFL draft analyst for the draft wire and windy city gridiron. You can follow him on Twitter at Jacob Infante two four and Jacob. Thank you so much once again for joining us. But before he lets you go, we want to play one more game and it's called absolutes. And in this game, you will name us your favorite pick, your most puzzling pick, Favorite day three steal from the NFC North, yada, yada, yada. So, NFC North draft absolute, starting with your favorite pick. And if you can't pick Justin Fields, who would you pick? If I can't pick Justin Fields on uh, NFC North, uh, just in general, I- I'm not going to go with the Bears here because I do feel like with Tevin Jenkins, there's, uh, you know, hip concerns. And again, I don't have access to those medicals. So, I that's something I'm sure that teams did their homework on and he fell for, you know, some sort of valid reason, but I'm going to go Christian Derisaw as my favorite pick. I think that Christian Derisaw was a guy I thought was going to go in the top 15. I would have been surprised if he fell to 20, if the Bears said put there, let alone at 23. So I think that Christian Derisaw has all the makings of a franchise left tackle going forward. And if the Vikings are able to get that in the late first round, then that's an absolute steal in my opinion. Uh, and I know you said I can't use Justin Fields. If Justin Fields pans out, that's the steal of this entire draft. But uh, just going off of the NFC North non-Fields picks, I really like Derisaw. 
Uh, and I know it might be a little bit of an oxymoron to say a first-round steal, but I truly think that's the case with Christian Derisaw for sure. Who was the most puzzling pick of the 2021 NFL draft in the NFC North? See, most puzzling. Uh, I'm, I'm torn between Josh Myers or Kellen Mond. That's what I'm torn between, honestly, because, again, not that either of those players are bad. I just think that with Josh Myers, Creed Humphrey was the superior talent. Uh, and with Kellen Mond, I just don't think he's going to be much more than a backup. Again, I could look very much wrong uh, in a couple of years, and Kellen Mond can be the franchise guy to succeed uh, Kellen, uh, Kirk Cousins going forward. But I don't necessarily see that happening. So I'll go, I'll, I'll go with a tie. I'll cheat a little bit here. And I, I, I'm going to think that Josh Myers is going to be solid, but I think Humphrey can be a pro bowler and the Packers are going to be uh, really regretting that going forward. And with Kellen Mond, I think that he'll be solid and he'll stick around the league for a while, but I don't know necessarily if there's a starter uh, future for him. Who was the biggest steal on day three of the draft in the NFC North? On day three, and this one I got to think a little bit about because there are a lot of different uh, directions I can go here. Uh, I did really like Jalen Twyman in the sixth round for the Vikings. I thought that was honestly very good value uh, because, sure, he didn't test very well, but he looked very good on tape. Uh, And I think that he could develop into a starter in due time. I want to say like an early day three on him. So for him to fall all the way to the sixth, uh, I think that'll be interesting for sure to see how he develops. Uh, Jamar Johnson, the running back that the Lions got in the seventh round, I think he's a potential, you know, quality committee back going forward uh, for the Lions. I mean, obviously DeAndre Swift's going to be carrying a bulk of those of carries, but I think Jefferson can have a role there. Uh, and then I'll go Thomas Graham as well, uh, the nickel that the Bears got in the sixth round. I think that if he played in 2020 – I think that we'd be looking at him as a third, fourth round pick. I think that his tape was, it was very good. And for him to, to fall to the extent that he fell, I think a lot of that was because of, oh, he didn't have the 2020 season to go off of. There's maybe a little bit of recency bias around the NFL, but I think that Thomas Graham's going to develop into a starting nickel corner at the next level. So we'll consider Thomas Graham Jr. the day three steal, and that means the best day three picks for the remaining teams. Uh, for the Lions, you said Jamar Johnson. For the Vikings, Jalen Twyman. What about the best day three pick for the Packers? Yeah, so for Green Bay, uh, i got to think a little bit about this one. So I think they made a handful of moves that I did like. Uh, I'm going to have to to go Isaiah McDuffie, the linebacker they got in the sixth round out of Boston College. I see a guy there who can maybe not from year one, but I think going forward can be a starter at the inside linebacker position. And I know that the Packers haven't really shown an interest in investing a lot of draft capital or a lot of money at that position. So if they can get McDuffie, who's athletic, he brings value and coverage. I think if they can get a starter out of him in the sixth round, that's an absolute steal. So Value perspective, I like that a lot. Uh, fits in really well with what the Packers' philosophy kind of is at that position, and if they can get a starter out of him, I think that's a steal for sure. Uh, best offensive rookie in the NFC North in 2021, and yes, you can use Justin Fields this time. <laughs> okay. Uh, so with that in mind, I, I will go with Justin Fields. I think that he's going to be able to start uh, pretty quickly. I don't. I think that the Bears will start Dalton week one, but I think that it's going to be Fields' job uh, within a couple weeks of that opening game. So I'll go with Justin Fields. I think that I don't know if he'll be as good as Justin Herbert was in his rookie year because that's a very high bar to reach, but I do think he's going to be very good. I think there's going to be a lot to like with Justin Fields uh, throwing the ball, running the ball, being able to uh, read NFL defenses. And I, I'm really – I'm hopeful – I don't know if I'd say confident, but I'm hopeful that the Bears will be able to make the most out of Justin Fields' skill set with play action, you know, bootleg rollouts, uh, RPOs, read option situations. I think that being able to utilize his athletic ability could really open up opposing defenses, and then Fields has a good arm and he's very accurate. 
to the point where he can make them pay for it. So that gives you a little bit of a mismatch, and I really hope the Bears take advantage of it because he's not just your traditional pocket passer. He's, you know, not a run-first quarterback by any means. He's, he thrives more so in the pocket and playing that more traditional quarterback style. But uh, because he's as athletic as he is, I think that you can uh, – I think you can really maximize his potential and use that dual threat ability to, you know, really confuse some defenses. And that's what I'm hopeful the Bears will be able to do uh, throughout Justin Fields' career. And last but not least, the best defensive rookie in the NFC North in 2021. Best defensive rookie? Uh, hmm. I kind of, I, part of me wants to go Eric Stokes. Just because, I mean, sure, he's probably going to start right away. Uh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go a little bit bold here. I'm going to say Fatu Melifonlu. I think he's going to be a starter pretty quickly for the Lions there at corner. Uh, I think he's got a, a high ceiling at the next level. Maybe not Pro Bowl caliber player, but I think he's a very, you know, athletic, lengthy guy who's fluid and has good ball skills. I think there's a lot of potential there for sure. I'm going to go bold. I'm going to end it and go bold there. Uh, so I'm going to say Fatu Melifonlu. Uh, I think that he has the potential to be the best defensive rookie, at, at least in year one. I think he has the potential to be the best defender in those NFC North draft classes. Thank you very much, Jacob. And that's it for today here on Sports Cross. But we'll be back in the coming days with more draft class recaps, so stay tuned. Meanwhile, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Jacob. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Jacob Infante, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome, stay safe, stay sane, and if you want to stop wearing a mask, please get vaccinated right now, especially if you want to fill all the football stadiums in America by this fall. Thank you very much, everybody. (laughs) 